0: Broadcasting from the Business Radio X studio in Alpharetta, it's time for Profit Sense with Bill
1: McDermott.
2: Good morning. Welcome to Profit Sense. This podcast dives into the stories behind some of Atlanta's successful businesses and business owners and the professionals that advise them. We help local business leaders get the work out about the important work they're doing to serve their market, their community. In their profession, as well as discuss current issues that business owners are facing today across a variety wide variety of industries. I'm your host Bill McDermott and this show is presented by the profitability coach. When business owners want to increase their profitability, they often don't have the expertise to know where to start or what to do. I leverage my knowledge and relationships from 32 years in banking to identify the hurdles getting in the way and create a plan to deliver profitability that they never thought possible. We have four great guests on the show today. I am so excited uh, uh, for this show. And and if you don't know, uh, the month of May was Mental Health Awareness Month. And we have four professionals who have very successful practices. Uh, Kristen Frazier with uh, Canton Counseling. Kristen, welcome. Thank you. Laurenta Rush uh, with Healthy Minds and the Center for Executive Functioning. Laurenta, welcome. Thank you. And Brooke Jones with uh, Fresh Start. Brooke, so glad you're here. Thank you. And uh, Brianna Gaynor. Brianna, so glad to have you on Profit Sense. Thank you. And so we're going to dive into a topic that uh, uh, I think first I want to start with. Uh, uh, this group is. Uh, Uh, is a special group to each of you individually, but also collectively. So, Brooke, maybe uh, kick us off. Uh, How did this group come to be together?
3: It's a great story. We actually met each other in some individual ways. And Brianna and I went to grad school together. Kristen and I were in a consultation group. Brianna and LaRonta knew each other previously. And we did a second round of a consultation group that Brianna joined. So we had all these little ways that we each knew each other individually. And We came together with some luncheons and just kind of threw some business ideas out there, questions, because none of us had business background. We did not study that in college, but we had these businesses that were starting to thrive and didn't know what to do to, you know, kind of keep it going or make wise decisions or even having paperwork documentation um, forms. And we just were kind of winging it. (laughs) So we came together and started asking questions, developing some models that we each were benefiting from and decided that luncheons should become dinners. So we had longer dinners, then started to have, you know, just going to each other's houses to hang out more, became friends over the process. And honestly, it's been almost 10 years, and we have become really close friends. Our businesses are thriving, and we've um, you know, grown together professionally, personally. It's just a really, really special group.
2: And Kristen, you're, from your perspective, how has, uh, how has this group not only impacted you personally, but also professionally?
4: I think we say it all the time. We've saved each other financially and personally often, you know, in terms of giving each other not only the business advice, but being able to lead each other through things that we've navigated already, and then give that that information and in perspective so that they don't have to make the same mistakes or that we kind of, you know, not have the same missteps. Um, and then personally, I think it's just been something that you can't Force. It's just been organic. It's been honest. It's been uh, vulnerable, and it's just been something where we have been able to lean on each other, not only when things hit us personally, but then professionally, and how that combines. Um, so, yeah, I think we we all, every time we're together after a certain amount of time, we all say, "Isn't this great?" Like. Isn't this so amazing that we have come together and that we have this? Because I think we all know and appreciate what we have.
2: Yeah, it's special, isn't
4: Very it? Very much so.
2: And Brianna, you and uh, Brooke went to school together, but uh, this group has, uh, has certainly morphed into something. What's, uh, what's your perspective and how has, uh, how has the, uh, uh, the foursome impacted mm-hmm. you personally and professionally?
1: It's nice to be able to talk to people who understand exactly what you're going through. So I guess the biggest things for me have been being able to complain, being able to talk through, being able to get ideas from people who just understand exactly what I'm going through because people in your life mean well and they want to give you good advice and they try their best, but no one really understands what it's like to be a business owner, but business owners. And so I think that that has helped me to grow because I know that I have people who can help me who I can help. And it feels like we're doing it together. So it doesn't feel like I'm just in this lone place doing my own business. But I feel like I have these three women who are doing it with me. And it just makes everything better. Just even in the last month, I've gone through a lot of pivots with business and being able to call on all of them to be able to talk, to be able to get ideas. Encouragement has just been it's been life saving.
2: Yeah, it's, uh, it's lonely at the top when you own your own business and, Mm -hmm. and sometimes that, that loneliness, uh, needs the benefit of, uh, of relationships. Absolutely. People that have done it before or people that have made, uh, decisions around the things that you're struggling with. Lauranta, uh, what about you? How, uh, how did you come into this group and, uh, how has it become kind of like family to you?
0: It's absolutely family. I knew Brianna first and I met Brooke at a conference and I walked up to Brooke because I know that she started her own business. Um, It was small and then I looked for some reason and then she had all these people. I was just super proud of her um, and her growth in such a small amount of time and just all of like you know, individual meetings. And then we, I remember we initially started going to each other's offices and then we decided to take it, you know, to a nice scenery. So we would go to Blue Ridge and other places or a weekend retreat. And it's just been absolutely amazing because as a business owner, you can't, you go through a lot, but you can't really show that vulnerability to your staff. Um, And it's so nice to be able to vent and to, Say what you need to say so that you can have that release without, you know, it being, you know, um, something that's broadcast to your staff. Because sometimes it is frustration with your staff or with your providers. Um, It is, there's a lot of challenging decisions and some small. There are changes that are made on more of a broad scale, you know, like um, changes in legislation and, you know, how do we, you know, handle Um, no surprise, you know, bill act, you know, and then being able to draw on each other for forms and, you know, what are you guys doing about this? And we don't, it's the one place I don't have to come up with everything on my own. I don't have to figure it all out on my own. And so in that sense, it really is a family.
2: Yeah. The, the power of the team, you Mm -hmm. know, uh, four, four minds, uh, trying to tackle an issue versus one, you know, certainly gives you so much perspective uh, Brooke, can you uh, can you add to that?
3: Well, one thing that I'll add is that we're also four mental health professionals. <laughs> and I think that is something that is not to be taken lightly because, you know, you're you're turning to your sisters for business ideas. Yes. But also these are three dynamic women who help people every day, you know, deal with psychological problems. So when you're going through personal things, you're getting the best advice from three different people. <laughs> How awesome is that? You know,
2: yeah, that's an excellent point. Um I'm wondering, um, let's kind of have a little uh, around the horn discussion. Uh, There are probably some business owners out there who are literally slugging it out by themselves. Uh, They don't have the benefit of a group. And so let's kind of shift the conversation. Uh, Brianna might get you to start on this what advice would you give to maybe that business owner who doesn't have the benefit of, of a group like this and uh, how can they, uh, how can they find that?
1: Well, I think networking is one of those things where there are like-minded people we're doing some of the same things as you. And the truth is, we often think that we're the only ones who are maybe wanting community or wanting to be able to have someone to connect with. But usually we aren't. So sometimes it takes getting out there and having those conversations and see who you feel you connect with. Because at the end of the day, we're all human. And so I think what has made this comfortable for me is I don't have to be the professional. I can be myself. I can say what I need to say. I can be honest and open. So really starting to develop those professional friendships are really important. So I would say networking in places where, um, people have businesses, maybe similar businesses to you, um, reaching out maybe to classmates or people who you refer to, but really trying to start to make those connections because you'd be surprised at how many people actually are looking for that as well.
4: Yeah. Uh,
2: Kristen, I'm wondering if uh, if you have some thoughts and advice you might share on that topic as well.
4: Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, a lot of times when we talk about community and those that are within kind of that, you know, space, not only professionally, but kind of logistically, um, you know, the local chambers uh, have tons of free events and lots of business and connectivity. And so when you're thinking about they don't even have to be in your same industry, but a lot of the conversations and dialogue can be about just business in general. How do you, again, pivot? How do you navigate growth? How do you navigate different um, human resource information? So I think, you know, the other type is, is, you know, seeking out different types of professionals, you know, and, and where they are in their journey. I think there's some really great things that when you're in the beginning to have somebody that's in the beginning too, because they know exactly what you're doing, but, you don't want just too many of those people in your in your tribe. You know, you want to be have have people that have, you know, gone 2 3 years into their business, somebody that's 10 years into their business because I think having those different um, you know, informational sources gives you just the long-term goal um on what you can do. And I think you know, it's the fine line between Competitors and support. You know, uh, I I help a lot of the therapists that are in my area. We we work together and we support each other. And if I know a therapist is specializing in an area, even though I may have a therapist, we will refer out because we know that's what's best for the client. Um, you know, so I I know that as business owners, we're in that kind of place where you know we want to. Know are uh, an identifier com- competitors, but there's also a very um, crucial space for collaboration and, and support. Um, so I think, you know, being able to find those people that you know that you can work with that are directly in your industry. Um, I think it just gives you a more well-rounded opportunity.
2: Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Leronta, would you have anything to add?
0: I'd say if you are a member of like a Listserv, I, in this Atlanta area there's GTN, Greater um, – uh, Greater therapist therapist network. network yeah I can't remember the exact name um but that listserv or other listservs you can um there's I've seen posts where people are um you know wanting to start a community of people of um, a consultation group sometimes around very specific things and sometimes one that's more general so I'd um reach out you know to listservs that are common um to your profession and then also if you're Um, profession, you know, allows continuing education credits and you're going to workshops, you know, on breaks, you know, go up, talk to someone, meet, make connections um, and start forming relationships that way.
2: Yeah. Great. Great suggestions. Brooke, do you have anything to add?
3: Um, Well, like Brianna said, you know, it's, it's about who you connect with and finding those places. So, you know, the with Kristen and I, we found the consultation group individually on a listserv. So we showed up not knowing each other, but we found each other by going to, you know, being a part of the listserv, seeing that there's a consultation group that was offered. And then like LaRonta mentioned, she found, saw me at a consult or I'm um, sorry, it was a continuing education event. Mm-hmm. So she came up to me. So, you know, you have to be in those spaces in order for the groups to form. And then you find who you connect with. Um, and, you know, you look for consultation opportunities. It won't just fall on your on your lap. And the other part too, is what we bring to this group, it's all different. You know, there's parts that Laurenta specializes in a bit more. Or Kristen may do more reading on or Brianna may have more experience in. So, you know, just not only, you know, people who are directly in your profession, I think it's important to be in the mental health realm for us, but it may be that, you know, Kristen having a, a counseling practice, she brings so much to us because we are psychologists. We do a different, different type of service. Um, so it's being open a little bit within the group as far as who you welcome in. But also, knowing your worth that you can bring some great things to the group as well
2: yeah, I think uh sometimes uh, we as as business owners will feel like we we have to solve it ourselves, uh, sure. but I think what you two what you all uh as a group have has figured out is is there's strength in numbers uh as you were uh, Brooke, talking about you know uh each putting yourself out there and uh what came to my mind is uh if all of us Play in traffic long enough, pretty soon we'll get hit, right? Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so the nice thing is that that you found each other. Yeah. Uh, the other thing that came to mind, and I'm sure there's probably a psychological term for this, but I read a book recently uh, called Primal Leadership. And as you're having conversations, uh, your uh, I believe it's called the limbic system knows if there is conversation that's generating resonance, harmony, or dissonance, mm-hmm. disharmony. And so the people that you find generally are people that are as you're conversing you're really resonating with mm-hmm. and uh out of that resonance uh comes those deeper relationships and I think you all have found that as a group haven't you?
4: Mm-hmm. Absolutely.
2: Yeah. So let's uh let's switch the conversation uh so um I think we're past COVID. I hope we're past COVID. Uh, we'll we'll all cross our fingers. Um, but uh, uh, all of you have had successful practices uh, for quite some time. But COVID certainly stressed uh, all businesses, and um, and just so we had to figure out pivots. And, and so I, I'd love to hear from the group. Uh, how did you pivot? Uh, maybe what your thinking was uh, before your pivot and maybe even pivoting your practices was a big topic of conversation within the group. Uh, so Brooke, I'm wondering if, if you could kind of kick us off, um, what was, what was going on with, with you and, in your practice? Uh, how did you approach um, the circumstances that COVID, um, brought to all of us? And then how did you pivot?
1: We
3: talk about pre-COVID years like it's, you know, back in the dark ages, <laughs> <laughs> But, you know, I think back to before COVID, you know, the offices, they were jumping. I mean, the, the waiting yes. rooms were busy. There were kids loud. And the <laughs> we had the music playing, people in, in the hallways. And, you know, it was just busy. You know, p- patients were in and out. Um, so you know i remember some of my providers requested to do virtual they wanted to do telemental health and i was against it absolutely not we have to see our patients face to face and you know that's that was my motto but covid hap- happened and we had to pivot you know there was so much going on you know drastic changes in business the way that we conduct business we had to go into a risk management uh, thought process um they had to kick in the high gear and there was so much unknown I mean, also, yeah, I think in our country there was tension with regard to racial tension, politics, COVID, non-COVID related deaths. You know, all of this while we were still trying to navigate personal lives, so much going on, health, finances, families, yet there's 10, 30 people relying on you to make smart decisions and, you know, to make fearless decisions. You know, it was a lot. So we needed each other. And I would say that we had to shift to virtual, which was a blessing that we could do that. Um, We had to figure out which platforms to use, um, how to navigate insurance. Would they still cover virtual services? Insurance companies didn't know what they were doing. Schools didn't know what they were doing. Um, But, you know, we had to make it work. So back to what we were initially talking about, having this group to say, what forms are are you guys using what posters are you putting on your walls? How do you ensure that your patients are safe? Um, are we still allowed to do evaluations in the office or do we do all virtual and how do you pay? You know, so we had to figure it all out. And I would say we had to figure a lot out in a two week time frame. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we closed our office down for two weeks with the anticipation that COVID's not going to last too long. Mm-hmm. So we'll just ride this out for a few weeks and we'll be fine. But no, we had to change up forms. We had to use new new um Intake paperwork, we had to cover ourselves just in case it ever got traced back to our business where COVID started. We just didn't know a lot. So again, having this group was a huge benefit because we all created forms that she may have used for intakes that someone else may have posted in the in the waiting room Um, and then you know just being able to do virtual services that we still do and the insurance still covers so we're thankful for that but it was a lot to navigate and I mean maybe only scratching the surface of what we had because it was a blur you know one thing that we say (laughs) a lot is that was a
2: blur Mm -hmm. yeah for sure so Kristen
4: I think you know Like any business owner, owner, you're looking at kind of the internal structure and the external. So the internal was, you know, we as therapists were dealing with everything at the same time and navigating all of the things that this was affecting us personally and then being there for, you know, our clients. But it was also, you know... Like Brooke had mentioned, the way that we navigated our internal staff, it changed. We used to have to, you know, have people that were our support within that realm and everything kind of changed in terms of what we needed, how we needed it, how much we needed. Um, and then I would say that the other part too is, you know, from the mental health standpoint, it was a blessing and a curse, you know, that it, it has brought up a lot for different people in terms of depression, anxiety, um, things that have really impacted us but as an advocate for mental health, um, it got us talking about it. It really, you know, pushed everybody into a place where they couldn't ignore it anymore. You know, when you're stuck in the house and whether it's your marriage or your parenting style, or whether it's your personal demons, you know, it, it, it forces you into facing them. So I think, you know, what it allowed us to do is start a bigger conversation about mental health. It started us to allow, um, it to be normalized, right. It wasn't a stigma. It was something that was survival. It was something that was connecting for people. Um, and you know, little things like, you know, from the therapist, you know, they, clients always come into our space and this was the first time we got to go into their space. You know, I, I think I did counseling with people in their closets in their cars in their basement corners, <laughs> wherever they could escape from kind of, you know, the, the, the noise of their house. Um, But it was nice. It was nice to see them in their space. And so it allowed us to have a different connection with our clients that felt organic um, in the midst of a really scary unknown time. So I think it's like anything. I think we can all look back to that time time period and say that there were some benefits and some really challenging, difficult times.
2: Yeah, and so the one thing that uh, uh, I really picked on up on in, in your conversation is really just it almost uh, forced people, based on their experience, to deal with the loneliness, uh, the depression that COVID brought on, the isolation mm-hmm. uh, for many. And so um, while it was a horrible experience to go through, uh, maybe people were opening up about mental health issues and uh, how do I successfully deal with, with depression? Would you agree?
4: Absolutely. And I think, you know, one of the comments that I use for my, um, for my clients is, you know, when things happen, we have two opportunities. It builds us up or it breaks us down. And I think it gave people the opportunity to sit in that space. Right. And they had to make a decision. They had to be intentional because they didn't have anything. They didn't have all the noise right? They had to sit in that place and make an intentional decision. Is this going to be something that I use to become stronger and better? Or am I going to just stay here? Um, And I think, you know, I think it helped people develop either a connection with somebody like a therapist or a mental health provider to to do the work that they needed that maybe they didn't know how, or it allowed them to rely on the people that were special to them. Right or to understand kind of where those dysfunctional relationships and maybe who they needed to get away from. So again, I think it allowed people to just be more intentional in their lives.
2: Yeah, Laurent, I want to uh, just get your perspective. Obviously, you you had to make a pivot. Um, how was your experience unique, uh, and what were some of your big takeaways? And how did you pivot?
0: Um. So. Aside from like the logistics that Brooke talked about when we had to figure everything out, just even we had a um, just like a point of sale credit card, you know, so we had to everything from getting online credit card processors to new forms. We also had to had to learn how to manage staff from home, um, new phone system that allowed, you know, to be able to call out. Um, with our phone number and to be able to have a message, you know, a, a phone message, you know, from personal cell phones. So there was just a lot to manage um, and still make sure that the business was professional and serving, you know, the people that we needed to serve. Uh, so there was a lot of that. And, and that's the part that I found most supportive because I remember in, at the start of COVID we were talking, are you shutting down? Are you shutting down? We weren't even sure if we needed to or not, or if this is where this was going Um and so, but when we finally did, I think, you know, us together allowed the transition to be a lot smoother than it probably would have been um, doing it by myself. But all in all, I mean, I think COVID was a positive. I think that it allowed more people, it increased people's access to mental health. And so whereas someone who lived in Canton couldn't, um, you know, seek services in Stockbridge or, you know, but, you know, the online platform and telehealth allowed more people to have access to mental health. And in turn, that I think grew my business as well as I'm sure others business, because it allowed, um, you know, us to expand our footprint, you know, Mm -hmm, into different cities and different places, and especially with EF coaching in different States. And so it just allows, um, You know, for that access, you get more people to know what you're about, what you can do. And not only that, I think um, hiring new providers, I mean, I think the number of providers that I've hired since COVID has expanded significantly without having to increase the office space. Because a lot of people, Mm -hmm. um, especially all of our therapists, are still virtual if everyone were back in the office at this point, I'd have a problem (laughs) in terms of office space. And so it allows just to grow, it allowed my business to grow in so many different ways. So it's been a positive all in all, I think. And my own personal quality of life, um, I get to work from home. I can't imagine driving in, you know, almost every day like I used to, and that's okay. So we're still doing certain meetings online and that works. And we're just going to continue to do what works.
2: Yeah, yeah. Brianna,
1: Um, I think everything I agree with everything they said, but I think for me, what was interesting was helping to navigate my staff because I think this was the first time where we were actually going through the same things as clients were. we were all going through COVID. We all had the uncertainty. A lot of people had isolation. And so Really recognizing that my clinicians also had the same struggles that the people they were talking to every day were and they didn't get a break. They never got a chance to just kind of stop. And so I think it at sometimes took a toll. And so for me, it was really about being intentional to check on them, to make sure they were taking breaks, to make sure that we were connecting virtually so I could make sure that they were good because it never stopped for them, even though we were all going through this huge thing. So really making sure that I took care of my people, I think, was one of the biggest things that I made sure to implement and that I continue to because it did lead to burnout for a lot of people. And them knowing that it was OK if they took a break and stepped away, I think, made a, a big difference in sustainability and just people knowing that you care about them. It's not just about a paycheck, but I want to make sure that you're OK at the end of the day.
2: Yeah. You know, you you hit on a part uh, of burnout. I'm going to share a little uh a little personal story on that. So obviously in, in my coaching practice, um, a lot of people chose all of my coaching was, was person to person. Uh, and so I would meet in their, in their office typically. What happened is when those in-person meetings stopped, uh, I was able to convert some of those clients to, to digital, but also a lot of them were financially impacted and, you know, coaching was something, uh, to cut. So, what I did, part of my pivot was helping businesses like yours uh, obtain PPP loans, you know, through the uh, uh, the CARES Act, and so that Paycheck Protection Program uh, allowed a lot of business owners to retain employees, uh, get money from uh, from the government. To you know, of the government in that situation didn't have to pay them unemployment. And but what happened is I did close to sixty. PPP loans in about a six week period of time because we were in crisis mode. Uh, cash was not plentiful. Uh, and so I experienced my own version of burnout. You know, I was spending 12 hours a day, day after day. There were clients that I was helping that needed that cash yesterday. And so after six weeks of pretty much 10, 12 hour days, I had nothing left. Mm-hmm. And so part of part of my I've never really experienced burnout in my professional career, but I know now what burnout feels like. You don't even want to get out of bed, let alone try to help a client. And and while I was I was still able to get up and about, I just I just didn't have the mindset where I felt like I could work. And so burnout is a is a is real. Brooke, do you have a comment there?
1: Well,
3: just to go back to, you know, what we were talking about with the having support systems, you know, a lot of things that we did, we did it collectively. So sending out the same exact emails, (laughs) just changing the signature, Mm -hmm. you know, sending out (laughs) the same exact forms, you know, that if I had to do that all by myself and come up with the content, I would have, I mean, it was exhausting. Don't get me wrong. But I can't imagine having to go through that without some level of support. And when you were doing those 60 applications, imagine having someone that could, you know, you could kind of lean on for support or assistance to say, hey, what do I fill out for line 15? Or, you know, what did you do on page two? Well, I've got three people that helped me figure out page two. I I'll just cut and paste, you know. Yeah. So that, that that those type of things, um, I think, helped with not going through burnout and then being able to recognize our staff and being a support system to our staff. You know, you you have to take care of yourself in order to take care of other
4: people.
2: Yep. Yep. Kristen,
4: you know, I think one of the things that we all maybe took from COVID was, is having some level of preparation, right. And it, it caught us all really off guard, you know, we were all kind of struggling. And so I think, you know, for us, we already had something implemented in terms of this kind of professional tribe. But I think, you know, that can be something that a lot of business owners take away from that is, is preparing that now, not, not waiting until something happens, right. Go ahead and build those relationships, create that professional tribe so that when or if something happens, you've got it already in place. Um, that was crucial for us. And I think, you know, when, you, when we talk about burnout, I don't think there is a business owner that hasn't had that cross their path. Um, you know, and, and a lot of times we're, we're saying, you know, to our clients is you, you got to put your mask on first, you know. Mm-hmm. And if you put your mask on first, then you can take care of so many other people. But if you don't, you only have a certain amount of time. You only have a certain amount of, you know, effort to put forward. So I think, you know, preparation is important.
2: Yeah. The other thing that comes to mind is um, I had a thought and then I lost it. So let me, let me try to get it back. Um, The benefit of the the benefit of the group really caused you to be able to accelerate a lot of your decision-making and a lot of your processes. So Kristen, to your point, what I think really helped you and maybe advice that you would give to the business owner community in general would be to um, find that tribe people that you really resonate with people who you feel comfortable and safe going deep with and whose advice you respect. Uh, Brianna, am I, am I tracking? Is that kind of your experience or maybe your advice that you'd offer?
1: Absolutely. And then the other thing I just thought about is boundaries too. So for me, Being a business owner has been, this is my baby all day, every day. I'm doing it, you know, maybe one day I won't do it, but every day I'm working and just really finding better balance in life. So I think maybe that's the other thing that COVID showed us, just how important and precious relationships are. Life is enjoying life because you never know what's going to happen. So really also creating boundaries to take care of yourself because At the end of the day, this is your business. And so you can't be the best for the business either if you're not taking the time to foster those relationships or to do those things that make you happy. I think the things that we tell clients are the things that for myself, I've noticed I don't do as much. I remember um pre-COVID saying a lot of things to clients about self-care and I was thinking do you do that probably not (laughs) so really trying to take my own advice and making sure I'm taking care of me too because we're taking care of everyone else but it's really important to also make ourselves a priority
2: yeah Brooke Brianna brings up a great topic of self-care what what would you add to that
3: well in order to grow you have to have energy you know and you have to have sustainability. COVID forced us, especially in the mental health field, it forced us to grow. And, you know, had had we not gone through COVID, I don't know that the business would have pivoted when it did. Because, like I said, I was not interested in virtual services. And as LaRonta mentioned, if we had to go back in person, I would have a problem. I'd need more space, <laughs> you know. Um, but it was a pivot that was forced. And thankfully, you know, we navigated it well, um, but it was a pivot that, you know, we had to do. And it's something that, you know, for business owners who are afraid to take that leap or to pivot, you know, b- because something's not forcing them to do. And you have the energy, you can, you know, but you have to take care of yourself in order to have the energy, to have the sustainability, and as Brianna mentioned, boundaries so that you can be prepared for growth.
2: And Laurent, I'd like for you to to maybe uh, talk a little bit about the importance of self-care and, and maybe what advice would you give to our business owner community on self-care? Cause the business owner is looking after their business and sometimes uh, their employees, uh, but not looking after themselves.
0: I am. Well, pre COVID, I definitely was not the best at self-care um, at all. Me either. It's a big club. It, yeah. I was super serious all the time. It was all work. Um, and, I remember when COVID first started, I, everyone was home and this is when things were, you know, shut down. I remember being in the garage and because you're in a house all day, like all day, every day. And the, we left the garage door up and we had a whole setup out there. There were like trays and, um, seating and we just, and I just remember the breeze and I just said, this feels so good. And I could just breathe and relax. I'll never forget that feeling. And since that time, I have been working from home a lot. And it feels really good to not be in the car, on the road, in Atlanta traffic, you know, several days a week. And I'm still able to provide high-quality services, as are all of my therapists and coaches. And then I also love how relaxed clients are, because I, again, was very, very serious and so if my son ran in the camera, they laughed. And it was just such a relaxed time for everyone. It really just shifted my mindset. And and I think I do a lot better with self-care now. But I do think it's very important because if you are burnt out, um, not sleeping, and if you have kids, they feel that energy. If you're working, you can't be at your best. Um, and there's also lots of health challenges that come along with stress Um, and, and it's just really important. And if you need to know what that looks like, what self-care looks like, um, just take some time and think about what you would do for free. You know, if you weren't paying, what would you do if you just, you know, you would do it for free, um, what you used to do, what you used to enjoy doing when you maybe didn't have a family or you weren't working 12 hour days and just try to incorporate that. Even if it's just a little bit, start with a small goal. Um, maybe you commit to doing it an hour on the weekends and just commit to something, some small bit of self-care.
2: So Kristen, my self-care was during COVID and even after and before, uh, I have a rose garden. Mm -hmm. And so part of my self-care when life became crazy, uh, I would go out, I have about, I think seven or eight rose bushes Mm -hmm. and I would go out and it was just me outside you know seeing the the beauty of those plants mm-hmm. and really just having that time uh to uh, focus on something uh else Absolutely. so uh, uh you know what uh what is what is your advice to a business owner how do you find that self-care and then how do you become aware of the need for it
4: sure well and i think kind of loranta said is is it's it's finding the things that mean the most to you so if it's time spent with people if it's um ensuring that you have that quiet space if you need to be able to step away um you know, there's a lot of things that self-care incorporate, you know, and that's based on personality. You know, some people um, really recharge around other people. And so it's important for them to, you know, be having lunch with friends or doing things with people and having that connective place. But then we have, you know, our introverts that, you know, it, it doesn't mean that they're not social, but they're going to recharge in a more quiet space, something that feels more individual, something that, you know, quiets the noise down. So I think knowing who you are and what you need is important. Um, And then I think being able to, uh, again, very important is less is more, right? When we start something off small, it's a a success model because as we do it, we feel more accomplished. We feel proud of ourselves. If I'm going to do something and I started off doing five days a week and I haven't done it before, well, then that's the failure model because I stopped doing it as much and then I don't feel as good about myself. So I think, you know, one of the points that said was, you know, if you can do something just a little bit here and there and then add to it, you know, if, if you're doing 10 minutes of reading or 30 minutes of reading the next, next week, do it two times. And if you can't do it two times, do it an hour and a half. So I think it's just important.
2: Yeah. That's, uh, listen, just kind of listening to each of your stories, uh, how you've built, uh, successful practices, how you pivoted through COVID is, uh, um, is actually inspiring and even more inspiring is the uh, the team uh together everyone accomplishes more mm-hmm. and so uh a big takeaway for me is uh find your tribe, cultivate those relationships uh and when you have to pivot uh you know seek the counsel of your tribe in in dealing with that. Uh, I now want to uh, switch topics a little bit. There are uh, mentee, many mental health topics that we could uh, we could uh, attempt to uh, uh, talk about, but the big thing that uh, I have recently learned about and, and I want to talk with you all about is uh, the impact of social media uh, on teens, uh, specifically in teens. Um, how they uh how they relate uh what does what is the uh physical and the emotional impact of social media on teens on teens and and what is the prescription uh to do that in in just reading briefly on this topic uh if you're spending more than 3 or 4 hours on social media you're twice as likely to experience issues of depression Um, you know, some of the physical aspects, of course, are sleep disruption. Um, and, uh, the other thing, fear of missing out, peer pressure. Uh, but, uh, I want to kind of kick that conversation off. Brianna, maybe I'll ask you to start, uh, in your professional opinion, what, what is social media, uh, doing to our teens? And, uh, for those of us that are parents of, uh, of teens, uh, how can we how can we deal with that
1: that is a very layered question <laughs>
2: <laughs> and g- thank goodness we have the team thank around the table
1: have- to talk about it next so. <laughs> <laughs> well i mean i think one of the things that social media does for all of us is we can fall into the trap of comparison and so we all most of us anyway can put up our best face. I know when I'm feeling horrible or I'm sad, I'm usually not posting those pictures. I'm usually (laughs) posting the ones that look cute. I've taken about 20 of them to choose the one that I like. And so having that perspective as an adult and understanding that versus sometimes as a teen, when your brain is not fully developed and you're not happy with what's going on, or maybe you are, but then you're looking at other people and comparing yourself, wanting to be like someone else, not feeling like how you look or, your friends or anything is good enough can be very dangerous because you can only be the best version of you. And when we're trying so much to be like someone else and we're seeing all these models and celebrities, and there's this false expectation of what I should look like or how I should be. That's a really scary thing because then there is a lack of wanting to be who you are, wanting to be an individual and not being happy with yourself and that I think that's one of the biggest dangers of social media. But the truth is, social media is not going anywhere, I don't think, anytime soon. So I think part of it is having these conversations with your teens and knowing what they're looking at. I think sometimes trying to avoid your teen being on social media, if they're old enough, if they've already started in that, can make them want to rebel more, you know? When you're young and you tell me what not to do, I want to do it more. So starting to have those open conversations about the dangers, about what they're seeing, and just opening up conversation. I know for me, I think one of the reasons why I was very close to my mother is because I could talk to her about anything. I could ask her questions. I wasn't scared. She would say stuff that I didn't want to talk about. But I knew that if there was something that I didn't know, I could go to her. So I think having that open forum is really important.
2: Yeah. Brooke, what would you, uh, what would you say?
1: Well, one of the
3: main jobs that we do as psychologists is psych evaluations. And, you know, we have a pretty standard assessment where we do intakes with parents and we ask the same questions. And I would say that asking the question about social media has become a pretty central part of our intake process, you know, in recent years, Um, finding out the amount of time that kids are on social media, Which apps are they on which, you know, which type of um, apps are using, because there's a lot of connection between like Brianna said, body dissatisfaction, dissatisfaction, even disordered eating, social comparison, self esteem issues, anxiety and depression, Um, social skills are declined, you know, and then one of the biggest questions that we get more than any question is ADHD And, you know, you think about the symptoms of attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. It is not being able to focus, having distractibility. And you have these apps with so many colors, so many features, and you've got different dings and different people and profile. Your brain is just all over the place. And it's looking at this one minute and it's happy the next minute and it's sad the next minute. Then it's reading this blog, you know, the next minute. So it's super easy to be distracted. And then when you're distracted, you're you're less physical. Um, you know, the social media impact can have an impact on sleep. Like I said, social skills, because it's just your brain is being disorganized and it's wanting all those things, all those colors, all that activity. So when I have to sit in a class and focus to, on this very mundane teacher on a topic that I'm not interested in, I am not tuned in. So, yes, your attention is deficient. You know, um, you know, yes, I'm going to be more impulsive in this response. So, yes, you see rates of ADHD increasing, but we have to look at where does it stem from and what are some of the influences and not saying that it's 100 percent social media. But if that's a big portion of it, then we have to address that in our diagnosis and our treatment recommendations, because it is a, a topic that I'm seeing parents ask about a lot. And then also it's it's one of the recommendations that we have to make if we're wanting the teens or whoever, you know, children as well to be more tuned in. Because the thing about social um, ADHD is, you know, you're checking social media, you're texting, you're browsing, you're liking, commenting, chatting, streaming, all those things when you should be working, creating, planning, you know, sleeping, even driving or connecting with, you know, your partner or your kids. Um, it just has such an impact. And, you know, if you look at the core influences, social media is a big, big part when it comes to ADHD and again, all the other diagnosis and symptoms that we've mentioned before. So you know, certainly an area that we have to assess, and then we have to make interventions around. Mm-hmm.
2: And then, Kristen, in your counseling practice, obviously, uh, I'm sure there are either parents that have issues with their teens around social media or teens that are maybe having issues with their parents sure. around social media or just so- social media in general. So what are the what are the common themes of the counseling that you're offering? what What are the problems, and then what are maybe some of the solutions?
4: Sure. Well, I think with anything, you know, practicing balance, you know, and I I talked about that with many parents because I think that the first jump is, let me just take it away, right? And, And then that gives the parent the most amount of control, which... Kind of makes them feel better about the situation and less vulnerable, but like um, Brianna was saying it's not going away, you know so it's about teaching kids responsibility, how to use it, um, What are some of the, the dangers? You know, letting them know and having that dialogue, like you know, comparison is the thief, thief of joy right? Because we don't compare both ways. You know, typically we're looking at what's better than us, what we want more of. But, you know, there's also somebody that's looking at our pictures going, God, I wish I had that. I wish I looked like that. I wish I was able to do that. Um, So at the end of the day, when we really think about comparison, we get back to who we are and what we are. Um, You know, so being able to have those kind of conversations with kids, being able to allow them to have the space uh, to talk openly. And I think, you know, like any parent, yeah, that balance of being the bad guy, right? And that's the implementation of boundaries, recognizing that, you know, they have to have that downtime. So whether it's putting restrictive um, time frames, you know, I think it's really hard as kids get older to tell them what they can and can't be on. And they're so much more <laughs> smarter than we are in terms of, you know, uh, apps that look different ways and they can hide things much better and they can open different accounts. And I think the biggest thing for parents is that they don't feel like they can keep up. Right. So if we can't keep up, what can we do? And then we can limit. Right. So if it's saying, hey, listen, I'm going to put, you know, this um, setting on your phone. So after three hours of any use of these social media apps, it turns your phone off, you know, that at at 10 o'clock at night or nine o'clock at night that your phone's done, you know, and it, it doesn't it doesn't go back on. Or if it's something that, you know, you take that phone at night and they get it back the next morning. Um, you know, we talk about consequences and kids are so connected to their phone. So I think being able to ask them to be responsible and saying, if you can't maintain this responsibility, whatever is age appropriate for that kid, then you don't get the phone, right? And it's not that you don't get it forever, but you lose it for a day. You lose it for a couple of days. You lose it for a week. And that keeps kids connected to it because, you know, out of sight, out of mind, if I learn how to live without it, then I'm I'm not as connected to how to do it appropriately. So I think. You know, when we talk about balance, we talk about boundaries, and we talk about open conversations about, you know, what this is. And I think those three things are really crucial for parents as navigating kind of this blind spot on, you know, what do we do and how do we do it?
2: So, LaRonta, in your practice, what uh, what are you seeing in, in terms of social media and its impact, and how have you addressed it?
0: Um, I think... I want to first start just by saying that not all social media is bad. I mean, social media has, there's several strengths Absolutely. Um, to social media. Sometimes people are using these platforms as a sense of community, whether it's LGBT or an art community or as a way to connect with other people. Um, and that's really great. Some people use it to cope and to relax and, and and to learn different things. And so I do think, or to display their art and or to, you know, business, to promote a business. So there's lots of positives um, to social media. Uh, But especially if your kid is able to self-regulate, right? And they're able to say, okay, 10 minutes is enough. Let me get back to what I need to do. Not all kids can do that. Um, We do see kids in the office and parents will say or report they're addicted, you know, to social media, well, what does that word mean, you know, to someone that is assessing for autism where, you know, part of the criteria is this sort of obsessive, narrow interest. And so when someone says video games, it's like, yeah, you know, uh, or social media, <laughs> you know, does that really qualify as, you know, a symptom of autism? Uh, and is it really an addiction, like in the true sense of the word? Um, or Is it, you know, just craving this high dopamine, you know, sort of activities, you know, that you will typically see, uh, with kids, you know, with ADHD. And I think a part of this sort of came out of COVID because, you know, electronics kept kids occupied while parents were able to do their work, Mm
1: -hmm. their Mm -hmm. job
0: from home. Um, and so we kind of created monsters, um, of this, you know, sort of social media and I'm guilty of that myself. Um. But in terms of what I'm seeing in, in, in any parent, if you want to know like if this is problematic, um, and I think it is more so for people who might be predisposed to anxiety, depression, um, or if they already have low self-esteem, or if you hear negative self-talk, they're spending an unhealthy amount of time on social media and they have reduced motivation for other things like schoolwork, after-school activities. Um, you also want to are there withdrawal symptoms, you know, um, is there anger, irritability, um, you know, disproportionate anger, you know, when you're removing these, um, tools and technologies from them, as well as looking for symptoms of like anxiety, um, and not spending as much time with their friends face to face and, you know, electing to do a lot of solitary sort of online things. Those are things to look for that, you know, the use of social media could be um, you know, problematic and, and, and more of a challenge. And, and I totally agree with everything everyone said, just balance, um, communication, know what your child is watching and looking at. And, and it could be something healthy, maybe join in with them. But certainly
3: setting limits on screen time is important.
2: Yeah, excellent. Uh, Brooke?
3: Well, one of the Criteria for diagnosis, a lot of diagnoses. if you think about depression, anxiety, ADHD, all of the diagnoses, there's one criteria that says, does this cause clinical impairment in my daily life? So that's the thing to, you know, just to add to what Loranta was saying, you know, it's adding causing impairment in your work. Is it causing impairment in your relationship with your child or in your relationship with your partner? Um, you know, is it causing depression and suicidal thoughts? So think about the level of impairment that social media has on your child and has on you. The other part is and I have this tattoo here on my thumb that says be present And if you think about the location of it, it's there for a reason. It's my reminder because my phone's right here and it's looking at me (laughs) to be present. Put your phone down, you know, Um, because you have to be a model for your kids. You have to show them that I can be present. I can look in your eyes. We don't have to do things online all the time and we can go outside and play. So it's my reminder because I need it, clearly. Um, But have electronic free days, moments, you know, I used to be a small group leader for a group of girls and we went on a two day camp and we had to take their phones away. It was part of the rule and they were so angry. They hated me, (laughs) but this (laughs) is a rule of the camp, you know, but I tell you after that first hour and the little snarky faces, they were braiding each other's hair running and jumping and, you know, we were dancing and, you know, you see that this just lifted um, pressure from them that they were able to just enjoy each other, you know, but I do, you know, just want to add to, that part is that is it causing impairment and then also can I model for my child, you know, what healthy boundaries are mm-hmm. when it comes to social media?
2: Yeah, those are great comments. Um, you know, as we wrap up right now, uh, first my big takeaways today are, um, just kind of the, uh, I'm struggling for the words to come up with, but the, the, the relationships, uh, that you've built and those relationships go deep and how those relationships, uh, have really contributed uh, positively, not only to you personally and professionally, but I'm sure that spills over into your professional lives and your personal lives. Uh, but before we leave, I want to be sure, I'd like to give each of you a short amount of time, uh, talk about your each, each of your practices, what your focus is, and then uh, share if one of our uh, listeners wants to get in touch with any of you uh, what's the best way for them to do that? So, Kristen, if you don't mind, I'm going to start with you. Talk a little bit about uh, Canton Counseling. Uh, how, if someone wants to get in touch with you, uh, do they go to your website? Uh, is there an email or a phone number that, uh, that they can reach out to?
4: Sure. Absolutely. So, we pride ourselves in being a mental health comprehensive private practice. Um, we do the best we can to make it affordable and to give people of all kinds uh, a place where they can feel safe and they can talk about the things that they need to kind of navigate. Um, so we're very fortunate to have a clinical um amount of people. We have 20 therapists in our practice. Um, So we really do have a therapist that can meet the need of everybody, you know, whether they're bringing in their children, whether they're bringing in a couple situation, individual counseling, adolescents, adults, all of that, Um, and specific disorders. You know, we have people that specialize in grief, trauma, uh, eating disorders, um, mood disorders that are kind of, you know, what we call uh, general practitioners of mental health. You know, a lot of those things that just life is hard and we're just trying to develop some coping skills and strategies to get through what feels really tough right now. Um, so the best way to contact us is we've got a lot of information on our website, which is, uh, www.cantoncounseling.com. Um, we have a a great resource, uh, which is our client care coordinator. So if you call uh, the office directly, which is 678-880-4645, um, The client care coordinator takes care of everything. She is the first uh, kind of person to talk to, navigates what you need, who would be the best fit, really helps you kind of understand if you have questions about counseling, what is it like, what do you expect? Um, Just helps you navigate the process and finds the clinician that's going to work best for you um, and then helps you set up all the paperwork. And we are an online um, technology driven practice. So we try to meet that need with the clients by, you know, formulating a lot of those things with online portals emails text messages so that we try to be as convenient as we can be uh, and meet the needs of everybody's busy you know and so not everybody has time to sit down and have big conversations so how can we still get the clients that need our help um, in the office as quickly as possible and so those are are kind of uh, our two things but great thank you for being here
2: yeah thank you for coming on today loranta how can uh, someone get in touch with you and your practice
4: so I
0: am at Healthy Minds Psychology Associates and we have and also the Center for EF is another division where we really focus on improving executive function skills. We have five psychologists, five EF coaches, about 10 therapists and we really work in, you know, assessing and diagnosing any type of sort of mental health issue, anxiety, depression, autism, learning issues. And we also, you know, provide therapy for families and couples and individuals and children, as well as EF coaching. And EF coaching is essentially help for time management and help for homework meltdowns between parents and children so that they can just be family again and stop arguing over things and let us do the work in um, helping you know kids to be successful. And even adults who we've seen a lot of adults with ADHD or other issues that are impacting their marriage or adults who just want to get through a book or get a promotion, but they can't really get it together in terms of keeping the details um, and prioritizing tasks. And we've had a lot of success with that. And so we also have a lot of information on our website, www.hmpsychology.com, and there's www.thecenterforef.com, and our office is 770-375-8124, and we're happy to help.
2: Great. Thanks so much for coming on the show today. Brianna, how can uh, someone get in touch with you and your practice?
1: So the name of my practice is Peace of Mind Psychological Services. So our goal is to be able to serve the whole family. So we provide therapy and psychological evaluations. Um, And so I have therapists who focus on a lot of different things. So trauma, trauma gender identity issues, anxiety, depression. And with our evaluations, we can look at a plethora of things. So learning disabilities, um, emotional difficulties, or just something's going on. I'm not sure what it is. So we pride ourselves on being able to support clients who um, may have difficulty with finding services because of their insurance. Um, We also pride ourselves on being able to help you find a place if we're not the right place. So just really putting clients first. Another thing that we are going to be doing soon is just education. So you get a psychological evaluation and you get a diagnosis. But what do I do afterwards? So really helping to identify what the next step is our website is peaceofmindpsychology.com and our phone number is 678-667-3565
2: great thanks so much it's been a pleasure having you on the show thank you and Brooke how can someone get in touch with you and your practice
3: um so we are fresh start for the mind and we have three locations in Canton Stockbridge and Swanee Um, But thanks COVID, we can do a lot of virtual now. So we have several um, of our practitioners do virtual services. And we offer four main services, and that is psychiatry for adults. So we have a psychiatrist on staff who provides medication management for our adult population. We also have a dietitian on staff, and we really encourage a lot of our parents to meet with our dietitian to consider what changes can be made with food, um, some good supplements, things like that, instead of going the medication route, if, if possible. Um, so we do a lot of referrals to our dietitian. She works with a lot of children and adolescents and adults who have ADHD and anxiety, especially um, our other two services are counseling and psych evaluation. So like the others mentioned, um, we focus on diagnosing, providing psych- comprehensive psychological reports so that they can be used wherever the referral comes from for um, medication consideration for school accommodations um, just in for knowledge for therapy things like that. And then we also have therapists who have different specialties as well. And we are freshstartmind.com and our phone number is 404-808-1161. Much more information is on our website. You can find out more about our providers there as well.
2: Great. Thanks so much for coming on the show. It's been a delight to have you. Thank you, Bill. I want to talk a little bit about profitability and viability. You know, one thing I always want business owners to remember is that profitability equals viability. And what I mean by that is that profitability is a key indicator of a company's financial health and sustainability. The main difference between profit and profitability is that profit is an absolute number. Whereas profitability is a measure of profit relative to revenue. It measures the efficiency of the business. Let's look at Jane's business, which she runs successfully for over 20 years. She recently made a significant investment in people to grow her business and is expanding her offices too. The costs associated with these investments were a drag on her profitability last year, but she's making an investment in her future. Ultimately, these investments will produce sufficient revenue and profit to cover those costs and provide increased profit above her investment. Since these expenses are operating expenses, they will impact net profit, so tracking her profit margin will be crucial. Uh, Net profit margin is dividing net profit by revenue. She'll want to track her gross profit margin as well. Gross profit divided by revenue is is, uh, that calculation because this gives an understanding of her margin both before and after operating expenses. Without profitability, a company may struggle to cover its costs, Repay debts, invest in growth opportunities, and reward its owners and investors. So these are two important KPIs to watch closely. If you want to keep up with the latest in pro-business news, follow us on LinkedIn and Instagram at The Profitability Coach. If you want to listen to past or future Profit Sense episodes, you can find us on ProfitSenseRadio.com. This is ProfitSense with Bill McDermott signing off. Make it a great day.